Let's read Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, again, is writing from prison. This letter, of, originally when these letters in the Bible were written, they didn't have chapters, they didn't have verses. They were just a long letter. <laughs> we put chapters and verses to try to outline different sections or different themes, and it's easier to reference to go back to this verse. But originally, it was just a letter that they read in front of the whole church. So what it says here is this, verse 1. Paul said, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Okay? So now I want to let you know how hard I'm contending. Other translations say how Now, now, if you're reading that, you're like, what does he mean? Like, who is he fighting with? Like, who is he striving with? And, and really, what this passage means is how hard I've been contending for you in prayer. What I've been, I've been contending for you. I've been doing spiritual, like, battle for you in prayer. And he's talking about this in the form of striving. You know, the, the Greek word is agon, or agon, and it means contending or deep struggling or striving. And Paul is saying, I've been praying for you. I've been really just praying my face off for you day and night as a church. And, and that's how this verse, verse goes. And it's like, I've been on my knees for you, intercessory. And so you might be asking, what is he praying for them? What's the purpose? Is there, are they in some battle? Are they sick? Are they in danger? Like, why is he praying so hard for them? Well, you see that in verse 2. You see his goal, okay? And verse 2 says this. <clears throat> my goal is that they, or you, may be encouraged in heart <clears throat> and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mysteries of God, namely, yeah, this is, this is how it can be used out of context. I'm striving for you and praying so that you may have the full riches. <laughs> right? Out of context, prosperity gospel. <laughs> I want you to have the full riches. No. What are the full riches? Is that you have complete understanding that you may know the mystery of God that is Christ. And so in a nutshell, why is Paul striving so hard for them? Is that they may know Jesus completely. Is that they may know Jesus completely. And that's what he wants them to know. And that's what he's pushing for. That's what he's praying for. Is I want you to know him. I want you to understand him. And, when, and that's where he said, that's what we would say is like full riches. Many times we think of like full riches as like, hey, if I have this much money, I can buy material things that I want that'll make me happy. And really, every time the Bible talks about riches, it, it doesn't really talk about it in terms of money. It doesn't really talk about it in terms of like currency. When it talks about full riches, <clears throat> for instance, an excellent wife in Proverbs, what does it say? She's more valuable than rubies right? Like, what's more valuable than rubies? An excellent wife is, for one. And he's saying, what is true riches? Is it having millions of dollars? He's like, no, it's actually having a complete understanding and knowing Christ fully. Knowing Jesus, and when you know him, that's, that's true riches. Amen? That's, that's really what we're after, and that's what he's saying. I want you to know him completely. And what's funny is, he's writing to a church, and he's saying, this is what I want you to know. I want you to know Jesus fully. And do you think it's funny that he's writing to a church saying, I hope you know Jesus completely? It's like if he wrote Jericho Road and he said, hey, J-Road partners that are so faithful, my prayer is that you know Jesus completely. And you may be like, what? Don't I know Jesus completely? (laughs) 
Is, is there a way? And that's implying that maybe our knowledge of Jesus or our knowledge of Christ is incomplete. And I'd probably say it's, it probably is going to be a little bit incomplete until we get to heaven. And what it's implying here is the more we strive to abide in Christ, the more you know him. And you're going to know him deeper and deeper all throughout the rest of your life. Amen? And so it's saying you're not going to like arrive and like know Jesus fully right? It's like, it's going to take time to like know the riches of the gospel and know the riches of the Bible. And this isn't meant to discourage you. It's meant to encourage you that there's more. There's more. There's a deeper life. There's more as Christians we should be striving for, and there's more we should be going after. And so if for you as a Christian, if the gospel, like the, we always talk about the gospel here at J-Road, if the gospel simply means that we get to go to heaven when we die, and the gospel is simply that Jesus died and rose again so we can go to heaven. If that's it, we have like a half understanding of the gospel. Because really, as Christians, we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Because on Easter Sunday, next Sunday, when we preach on the empty tomb, there's so much more to the empty tomb of Jesus than just eternal life. Right? There's so much more. Eternal life is a huge part of it that we get, we get salvation in Jesus. But on this side of eternity, the gospel means so much more. It means joy. It means hope. It means restoration. It means justice. It means that there can be new life on this side of heaven. It means that there can be healing. It means that marriages can be restored. It means that addictions can be broken. It means that people can walk again. It means that... Um, Friends can be united again. Like everything kind of goes back to the gospel of Christ. And if we just say it simply means we get to go to heaven, that is awesome and that is true and that's our hope, but there's so much more to the gospel. And so it, in the Bible it says preach the gospel to you every day. And, and there's more to the empty tomb than just salvation. And where you see this sometimes is I want you to know Christ fully, is sometimes when we talk to other believers— and we're like, share a passage of the Bible. And I get to sometimes as a pastor, they say, I've read that passage a hundred times. I know it frontwards and back. It's like, really? Really? Like, I'm not trying to be prideful or anything, but every, like, or anything, but every time I read this passage, Jesus shows me something new. It's like, you get a new, fresh filling after you read this passage. I mean, like, Rome, like Romans, we could spend a chapter in Romans and spend the whole year preaching on it and really not scratch the surface of it. Like, right? Like, the depth of God's Word. Like you said, each passage of Scripture, like we said before, is like a diamond. Every time you look at it from a different angle, you get something fresh and new from God. I'm not saying a new teaching or a new orthodoxy, but I'm saying, like, God speaks to you in different ways. This passage— when I, when I preach on this and I get into Colossians, I read this passage, like this verse, like 50 times. Over and over again. I read the text over and over again. Because there's so many different ways you can go. There's so many different truths here that are for you, for your family, for your children, for your workplace, for your parenting, that you can go into so many different things here. And so when you share this with somebody, like somebody's in sin— or somebody's in trouble, and you share a passage with them, they put their guard up and like, I read that before. I'm like, no, you didn't. Because <laughs> if you read it before, you wouldn't be in the mess you're in, right? And so, do you see that God's word is so deep that he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us understand it? 
The Holy Spirit's living inside of us and guiding us to helping us understand it. And so this is sort of this treasure and these riches he's talking about. And so it goes on in Colossians 2, 3, and it says this, more so about Christ. It says, in him, or in Christ, all are hidden, all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. He's saying in Christ is, the, is where the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. It's really good. It's, a, it's important while Paul added this. If you study the background of this, Paul is refuting bad teaching that's being taught to the church. So the bad teaching to the Colossians is this, is they were being influenced by teachers who told them to seek treasures and wisdom and knowledge, but not to seek those things in Jesus. Like, remember we said that in this context, there was many gods, there was many different versions uh, of a deity, and they would see Jesus as one part of it, but they were saying, you need to seek out knowledge and wisdom, and it's not going to be found in Jesus. Like, you shouldn't look there. Jesus is good for certain things, but you shouldn't find it there. And he's saying, no, and, and he's saying, in Christ are hidden. I want you to know that because if you don't know that, someone may bring a different wisdom and knowledge and they may deceive you into fine-sounding arguments. Anybody here ever think you may have been deceived by a fine-sounding argument? Maybe on the radio, maybe from a, a, a pastor who, who, who later you found out wasn't totally legit, <laughs> or maybe from a friend at work who said, hey, I know the new way of looking at the world, and I have to tell you about it. Here's the YouTube link to this guy. Like, right? This is like a new truth that you got to know, and it's a YouTube video. You got to watch it. And it's like, wait a second. Like, what? Is it found in Christ? No. But... It's amazing. And it unlocks everything you've ever wondered about the world. It's like, no, I think we may be being deceived by fine signs and arguments and not the truth and wisdom found in, in Christ. Amen? And the other part is, he said, um, it says, Paul wrote, you will only find all the treasures and wisdom in Jesus. He has them all. It's, it's not wrong to seek wisdom and knowledge, but we must seek it in Jesus first. We must seek it in Jesus first. And he's the beginning, the end, and that's good. It's, it's even in your, if you're in college, that's okay to learn knowledge. Like all knowledge is God's knowledge, right? All science is God's science. I mean, he created energy. He created gravity. It's all his. There's nothing wrong with that. But we know it all starts and begins with Jesus. And, and Paul is saying this for a specific reason. Even the word hidden, it says hidden, um, in Christ. He's using this specifically, and I'm going to try to butcher this Greek word, um, but the word is apokrupos, and it's a Greek word, and apokrupos means hidden. And really, there's this group called the Gnostics. Like, they're the Gnostics back in that time. And they were false teachers that were going around, and Gnostics means knowledge. And so they believed that mass, that a great mass of elaborate knowledge was necessary for salvation. And so he's saying, if you know this knowledge, you can be saved. And they were sharing that with people, and it was seeking in the church. And this knowledge they set down in their books, and the Gnostics had books, and the books were called the Apokrupos, which the books were called the hidden books. And so they did that because 
they were barred from ordinary men and women from reading. Like you had to reach a certain level before you could read these hidden books. And so the people in the church of Colossae would have known what Paul was saying here when he's saying, if you're looking for hidden books with all the knowledge and wisdom, I'll tell you what's hidden. It's all hidden in Christ. In Christ are all these treasures and wisdom knowledge hidden, not in these books that are barred. And the good thing about this wisdom and knowledge in Christ is that you all have full access to it, amen? He's saying if you know Christ and you've given your life to Christ and you surrendered your life to Christ and you're following Jesus, you have access to these full knowledge of wisdom. You, you have access to the treasure. It's not found in anywhere else. It's not found in these hidden books. It's not found in other teachings. It's all found in Jesus. And so that's why the, the key of like this whole book of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. Because Jesus isn't one of many good things. He's like the supreme good thing. Amen? And when you sing, he is my all in all, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's, he's God supreme, you're elevating him against all this other stuff. And this was a blow to the false teachers of that time who were spreading out all this false teaching. And it was a blow to them, and, and they knew it. Paul wanted to know that real wisdom isn't hidden in these books, but it's deposited in Jesus. And the word hidden here that he uses, it doesn't mean that it's concealed, that it means that it's like, it's not for you, it's concealed. It's meaning more that it's, this wisdom is laid up in Christ. That it's not hidden, that you can never attain it, meaning that you have to abide in Christ to attain it. Like, if you know Christ, you'll know it. So it's laid up in Christ. You're never going to achieve wisdom or knowledge apart from Christ. You're never going to, like, sidestep Jesus and get what you want. It's like it's, it's hidden and laid up in Christ, and that's very important. And it, and it begs the question here, and this is kind of the question of the whole message, and, and I want you to think about this. It's this. Do you, as a believer and attender of Jericho Road Church, do you make a conscious effort to continually abide in Christ every minute of every day? This seems like maybe to some as such a tall order, but as Christians, we're called to abide in Christ every minute of every day. And that's why when I was said a couple weeks ago, remember I said like, hey, we could pray always. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Pray when you're at the library, pray when you're on the store, pray when you're on the toilet, pray when you're driving your car. And somebody texted me like, that was really cool. That was really funny. But you don't really pray when you're on the toilet. I'm like, yeah, I do. That's actually a really good time to pray for a lot of us. It's prayer without ceasing. And so, yes, I wasn't saying it facetiously. Pray when you're in the crawl space of your home working on something. Pray when you're on the roof. Pray when you're in the car. Pray when you wake up. Pray when you go to bed. And it's saying the question is, in the Bible, they ask is, as Christians, do you make a conscious effort to continually abide in Christ every single minute of every single day? Or does your abiding in Christ happen when you're at church? But when you leave, the abiding stops. Man. Like, that's what he's talking about here. It's like, this treasure that he's speaking of is not a treasure that you grab. Like, you grab this treasure and leave with. You spend a day with Jesus and you have all these treasures. It's saying, no, you have access to this treasure when you're abiding in Christ. When you're not abiding, you don't have access. And so it's practicing the presence of God. 
practicing continually being in the presence of God. This is a worthy goal for any Christian. Like, this is the standard. And I feel like at times in the American church, we've set our abiding in Christ or being in the presence of God to events, right? I'm at church. I'm abiding. I'm at missional community. I'm abiding. Those are great. But it's like every day, when you wake up, when you go to bed, we should be walking in Christ. And if there's something in your life that doesn't want that, that is some sort of part of your flesh that you haven't crucified to Christ yet. And it's still holding on to that. The best way I could describe it is, and I even have a little illustration for you guys. Sorry, Mikey, I'm walking around a little bit. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> Mikey's our live stream guy and our drummer. Did that just reduce you down to like two things of your identity? Sorry. All right. The best way I can describe the abiding, and this is kind of the picture God gave me when I was preparing it, is like this light that's going to blind all of you in about two seconds. I won't, I won't shine it right in your eyes. All right. This might be yours, Roy. You might have left this here sometime. This might be yours. Um, <laughs> this is you, right? Like this is you as a Christian. And it's like, do you guys remember the passage? And if you don't, you got to look it up. It's one of the most important passages. Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus says, you have to abide in me. Like, I'm the vine, you're the branches. In, in modern day terms, Jesus is like, as a Christian, you're about as useful as this, this light bulb without the power source. Jesus is saying, I'm the power source, you are the branch off. If you're not abiding, you're, you're not producing any fruit. You're not going to be worth anything to the kingdom if you're not abiding in Christ. Do you guys get the picture? And so, I won't shine it in anybody's eyes, but you plug in yourself, abide in Christ, the power source, and you get like where you, your light actually shines. I won't do it too much. Shine it. <laughs> it really won't do much. Um, and so, just blinding myself a little bit. Um, it's like we wonder why we're not walking, like why we're not experiencing life to the fullest. And part of it is we're not abiding in Christ. Like we go to church, we plug in. As soon as we leave church, it's this. And we're here, Christ is over here, and we're not abiding in Christ daily. Do you understand? Like, do you understand this picture of like, this is you, this is Christ, you are no good unless you are abiding in Christ, and if you go to church and plug in for an hour and leave, you're going to be miserable the rest of the week. And so as Christians, we need to practice abiding and walking with Jesus 24-7, amen? Like, we can't just plug in. And where I kind of, where I've been wrong in the past, and I think churches get it wrong sometimes, is we try to prescribe you what—I'm going to put this right here for a second. We try to prescribe you what this looks like for you. Like what it looks like for you. Like for Brian, for walking with Christ and abiding in Christ, it's going to look different than it looks like for me. Like for me, I am very regimented in my time with Jesus in the morning— and then I pray throughout the day, right? So I'm very regimented. 
For some people, it's going on a walk with Jesus. For some people, it's playing the guitar with Jesus. For some people, it's praying at work. But it's like, whatever it is for you, there's like this regimented time, and then there's this time where you're walking with Christ. And we do it all day, every day. And it's like this. It's like this. And I don't know how you best walk with Jesus, but as Christians, if you want to have victory in this life, you have to find a way to be constantly, every minute of every day, be walking and abiding in Christ. Amen? When we sin, and maybe you're in some like constant habit of sin, you are constantly, you are, you're unplugging the abiding this of Christ. And, and then you're back to being dark. Um, I'm not saying you're losing your salvation, but I'm saying this abiding, Jesus says if you're not in the branch, if you're not in the vine, you're not, you're not walking with Christ. And so I'll get back to this in a minute because I have another illustration about that. Not, a, not as cool as the light, but it's another illustration. So I'm going to go back to verse 5, and it says this. He says, And though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are, and how firm your faith in Christ is. Like, he's saying, I'm impressed. Like, even though I'm not with you, like, in physically, like, I'm with you in spirit. Meaning, I, I'm, I, I know what's going on. I hear about it. We both have the same Holy Spirit, but I, I'm hearing about it. I'm so I'm with you in spirit. And so he uses these two words, disciplined and firm in the faith. And disciplined and firm in the faith, these are both military words. And he's meaning, what it's saying here is, though your world's been rocked with attack, I'm pretty impressed how disciplined you are that it hasn't shaken you. And I'm actually impressed how firm your faith is in Christ that it hasn't shaken you. And you want to know why I believe the Colossians haven't been shaken? Is because they've been abiding in Christ. They've been standing firm in Christ. And so when we talk about standing firm in Christ, it's talking about abiding. In many times, like in the military terms, it means the lines have been unbroken. You guys familiar with the military terms? Like if you form a line and the lines haven't been penetrated by the enemy. And so it's been unbroken. And so he's saying, I'm, you've been attacked, but I'm impressed how firm you are. Look at these two, like these are terms we use for spiritual warfare. So look at Ephesians 6.11. I think it'll be on the screen as well. Ephesians 6.11 says this. We talked about this last summer, but it says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand what? It's like the same passage used in, in Colossians. So you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Military term, meaning that if you are abiding in Christ, light plugged in, if you're abiding in Christ, you'll be able to stand firm against Satan's attacks. I don't know if we—I've pushed this enough, but Satan— our enemy, the devil, is, ro- is prowling around like a roaring lion, and he's seeking to devour, devour you. He's seeking to destroy your life. He's seeking to get you fired from your job. He's seeking to destroy your marriage. He's seeking to take you down as a parent. And Satan wants the worst for you. And he's constantly throwing darts at you. And so, Paul is saying, Guys, if you're not abiding in Christ, I don't know how you're going to stand. I don't know how you're going to make it. And for when I talk to people, and it's like, like, bro, I do this all the time. I'm just getting more about it. Like, like how is your prayer life? Dude, it's been days or weeks since I prayed. And I'm like, how are, how are you still married? <laughs> Tell me. 
Because I just know if I go a day without praying and being with Jesus, like, I'm a mess. <laughs> Maybe I've become so, like, like, I just need it. And there are days I go, you know, without having a, a formal quiet time, but every day I'm abiding and walking with Jesus. I have a conversation with you all this morning. I'm praying. God, help me to know what to say. I don't know what to say. Help me. He gives me the words. And so he's saying, if you want to, if you want to resist Satan, stand firm, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. So the next one that you see in spiritual warfare is 1 Peter 5, 9. And it says this, but resist him. I could say it. Satan. You guys are afraid. It's like, I don't want to say Jesus. If it's Satan, I'll be confused Satan Jesus. Says this, but resist the devil, firm in your faith. The same term, stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And so he's saying, stand firm, abide in Christ. And he's saying, when you abide in Christ, you're unmovable, like you're unshakable. And I've used this term in the past, but have you ever feel like there's been an experience in your life, or like maybe this past week, or maybe yesterday, or maybe this morning? where you feel like Satan's attacked you and you've just been shook to your core. Yes, all of us. Like, we're just, we're shaken. And many times we're shaken our foundation. He's saying, if you abide in Christ, you'll be able to stand firm and you won't be shaken. Like, trust me. You will be able to stand firm. And so we have to figure out how as Christians can we always be walking with Christ? For me, like, if I, um, watch things or I'm constantly listening to music that's not glorifying God, it brings me down and I feel like I'm more susceptible to other things. So I try to like surround myself with things that are going to um, bring me closer to Jesus. So you might be like, every day? Yes. That's being a follower of Jesus is every single day. You might be saying, every minute? Yes, every minute. You might be saying, every second? Every second with Christ, right? Every second. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Abide in Jesus. And I'm not saying this as like a discipline thing, like, hey, you guys aren't doing enough. It's more like this is what Jesus wants for us, this constant abiding. Because believe it or not, we have this flesh that's, that's with us. Our flesh is evil, and it wants what's evil. And if we don't abide in Christ, our flesh is going to become stronger and pull us away. Our flesh desires to look at people that aren't our spouse. Our flesh desires to want things that, that we don't have. And so we're constantly not satisfied. And, and, you know, our flesh wants these things. If we abide in Christ, it brings all this in perspective and we could have true contentment. And Paul goes on in verse 6 to flesh out this abiding in Christ. It says, So then— just as you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. This is abiding. I thought this was so important. So it's like, so then this, this wording is very important. So it says, just then, just as you've received Christ, so you've been saved, right? Somebody's been saved. Just as you received Christ, Jesus is Lord, continue to live your lives, not for him. Not saying continue to live your lives for Jesus. It's like live your lives in him. I think those two words are him. Everything I do is for Jesus. I do it for Jesus. I'm doing for Jesus. He's saying, no, I want you to do it in Jesus. Like we're walking in Jesus. We're following Jesus. And so 
every word here is incredibly important to, to talk about this abiding in Christ and being with Jesus every second of the day. And so this question is, do you make a conscious effort to continually abide in Christ every minute of every day? And if the answer is no, my question is, what part of your life have you not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? If you step back and look at your life, like look at this upcoming week, look at your checkbook, look at the, over the last year, and look at your whole routines, is there some part of your life that you haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? Maybe? I, I ask this to people all the time. They're like, no, I think it's all. like, okay, that's good. I mean, it's, it might not, like you, every part of your life might be surrendered to Christ, but I ask people this because there are parts of their lives where they just block out and say, I like to keep, it's like we protect our sin, right? I'm protecting this part. And it's like, no, every part of your life, it's like complete gospel saturation of your life is what Jesus wants, not just compartments. And many times in the American church, we put ourselves in compartments. Sunday morning is Jesus' time, and then, you know, the rest is I just do my own thing, and then I get myself back together and do this. I'm not saying you're not going to sin and you're not going to fall, but we're abiding in Christ. We correct those sins a lot more, and we, and we, we start walking in him. And so the best way to look at this, and this is my second illustration, is are you married to Jesus or are you acquaintances with Jesus? Are you married to Jesus or are you acquaintances with Jesus? I think this is really, really important, especially for new Christians, to see like the depth of our relationship with Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ, right? So we're the bride of Christ. And for women, that's like, oh, that's sweet. For guys, we're like, I'm a bride? Like, what? Like, it's just the way it is. The church as a whole is referred to as the bride of Christ. It doesn't mean like feminine, masculine, or male and female, or sexual. It means that we are married to Christ in this union of salvation, right? Okay, think about this. Think about somebody who, like, like think about somebody who you're acquaintances with. And I, I purposely didn't put friends here because I think in the church, we like to be acquaintances with Jesus, but we don't like to be married to Jesus. And as Christians, if you are just acquaintances with Jesus, I, that's not even enough for salvation. Right? And so, is your life, are you married to Jesus or are you just acquaintances with Jesus? And so, are, like, like, because we do this, right? Um, let, me, let me go through this a little bit. And so here are my side-by-side chart, okay? These go together, these go together. So, Married peeps, you know what it's like to be married, and you know what it's like to have acquaintances. Divorced peeps, you obviously know what it's like to be married. You were married at one time. Single peeps, you can imagine. Your parents are married. Um, if you're married, you're very open with your spouse. Acquaintances, you have secrets, right? Like, I am acquaintances with a few of our neighbors in the neighborhood, right? I talk to them, I say hi, I'm not giving them the password to my safe at home, I keep some secrets from those fools. <laughs> my wife, there's no secrets. Like, my life is an open book. My wife, like, literally, there's not a single secret Nicole doesn't know about me. It's an open book, right? She has access to my phone. Guys, if your wives doesn't have complete access to your phones, 
what is wrong with you? Like no secrets, the bank account, like, like the bank account, like men, women, like wives, husbands, full access. And in the same way, we, we think we're keeping secrets from Jesus and we're not totally open. And so in married, it's deep. My relationship with my wife is deep. Your relationship with your husband and your wife is deep. Should be the deepest relationship you have with any human is with your spouse. And with acquaintances, it's fairly surfacey. Like, how you doing? Good? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all on the surface, but this is deep. Married, if you're married to Christ, it's an everyday thing. If you're acquaintance with Jesus, it's short events. Again, this is what Jesus wants from us. This is what the American church has produced. Your faith is played out in short events. Like you go to a missional community, that's your time. So you put on your Christian hat. You leave. You live like Satan the rest of the week. You come back to church. You put on your church hat. You leave. You live like Satan the rest of the week. And it's like, like it's every day and every second. Not short events. In our married life, we're transparent. Like my spouse, like I, I don't keep secrets. I don't filter myself. Like, I, I think that's another way to say it is, like, I don't have a filter. And I try to let my wife know I'm not going to filter what I say because sometimes, like, I, I'm definitely guarded around acquaintances. <laughs> you want to know why? It's like, they don't know me. Like, they don't know what I mean. My wife, I could just talk, and she understands. With Jesus, I'm fully transparent. We're married to Jesus. If you're, if you're, if you're not, you're, you could be guarded with Jesus. With married, you're all in, Right? Like, I'm all in, 100% in. As Christians, we're all in with Jesus. The acquaintances, you have boundaries. You guys know that neighbor on your street that keeps coming over, and you got to say, hey, I need to set some boundaries real quick. <laughs> you can't come over at 9 o'clock. I'm basically in bed by 9 o'clock, all right? So I'm going to set some boundaries. With my wife, there's no boundaries. With Jesus, absolutely no boundaries. And I think there's many of us that put boundaries around things in our life. I want you to have this. And really, when people go to counseling or when I counsel people, I try to ask, what, like, again, what part of your life are you not surrendering to Jesus? In a, in, a, in, a, in a marriage fight, it's like you have this insecurity that's coming out as anger towards your spouse. This insecurity is rooted in the fact that you don't feel, um, you don't feel like you have value and you have to get value from other people, I think you need to surrender that to Jesus and stop putting boundaries around that. And it's like, it goes with anything. And so all in and boundaries, and when you're married, it's till death do us part. And with acquaintances, it's usually till hardships. Right? Till death do us part, married to Jesus, and when, when things get hard, then that's where it kind of ends. And so I want to ask you, in your relationship with Christ, would you say it lines up more with this or would it line up more with this? And if you realize that you just might be acquaintances with Jesus and you're not married to Jesus, that's a huge problem. But it's not a problem that can't be resolved through repentance, right? And saying any part of this where you feel like I, I feel like I'm more on this side, it's repent of it and move to this side and it's fine. And then work towards having your life fully open and married to Jesus, not just acquaintances where you come visit him once in a while. Man, if your life is a house, 
Jesus wants access to every single room. He does, and many times as Christians, we give Jesus access to the living room, but the bedroom's locked. He wants in the bedrooms. He wants in the bathrooms. He wants in the crawl space. And so what part of your life are you keeping Jesus out of? And Jesus wants that part. Invite him into that part. He wants every part of you. Jesus wants you 24-7, every part surrendered. Let me read this last part, these last two verses. He said, I see that, and this is abiding, he said, you're rooted and you're built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And he says, see, that, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And so he goes back to saying, if you are not abiding in Christ, you're going to fall victim to being just to hollow or deceptive philosophies. I don't know about you, but we would all agree. I mean, we could all read the climate of Muskegon. We could all read the climate of our nation. We could all read the climate of our church at times. Is that many times during this past election and during this past pandemic, we have, all of us, at some point or another, have been taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies rather than on Christ. And I'll see how it plays out. And I'm going to attack both of y'all. Is it means this. I talked to somebody, maybe it was last week or the week before, and they said, I listen to, like, they have a lot of time. I think they're on disability or they're unemployed. Christian, and they say, I probably listen to six hours of MSNBC a day. And they're like, I just, once they start repeating the story the third time, then I realize I've cycled through all 20 stories for the day eight times. And then I turn it off. Then you go to this person's Facebook and you see anger and you see misleading information. It's the same way. Do you guys remember back in the day, I think he just passed away this year, but Rush Limbaugh? Yo, I have friends that listen to Rush Limbaugh every day for six hours a day. And it's like, what are you plugging yourself into that is not Christ? Christ, not Rush Limbaugh, not NPR, not Fox News, not NBC. But we plug ourselves into that thinking that we're going to get some wisdom or knowledge that's hidden somewhere else other than Christ. And I'm not saying it's bad to do those things. Like, I'll watch this for a little bit. I'll do this. But to be honest with you, when, 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 when Rush Limbaugh was on, I'd listen to it for a little just to see what the topic was. I get sick of it after like 10 minutes. I'm not telling you not to listen to it if you enjoy it. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying that after a while, they were shoving things down my throat that I couldn't get out of my head and it wasn't linked to Christ. It's the same way, guys. If you're just listening to NPR 24-7, you begin to think that this is truth and it's incomplete truth. Right? It's incomplete truth. Yes, there's news things, but we have to take it with a grain of salt or else we'll be falling to hollow and deceptive philosophies. 
our past president, if we followed him without the context of Christ, we would be led into hollow and deceptive philosophies. Our current president, if we don't filter it with Christ, we will be pulled into hollow and deceptive philosophies. And this is why nationalism or political tribalism pulls us down paths that we never wanted to go down. And we as Christians, instead of being out sharing the gospel, we're fighting about matters that don't matter for the kingdom. And he's saying, like, I just, it's rang true for this year for all of us, right? Have we been pulled down a path that's empty? Anytime somebody comes to you, and, and let's say they, they claim they're a Christian or a leader or a Christian leader or anything, and they say, this is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to believe. I want you to say this. Give me a chapter and a verse. Give me a chapter and a verse that goes with that. Well, I watched it on this, and I saw, I'm like, give me a chapter and a verse. Like, I want to tie it to God's truth. If you're telling me to do something, and right, if I'm going to tell any of y'all to do something, I'm going to tie a chapter and a verse with that because that's what the Bible says. That's where truth, that's where we're rooted in Christ because the Bible is God's word. It's linked to it. Otherwise, it's just hollow and deceptive philosophy. We'll get pulled down a path that we never wanted to go down to. So I'm going to leave you with this. What are you plugging yourselves into on a daily basis? Is it the news media outlets? Is it the social media outlets? If you are spending more than like an hour a day on those joints, that's already a red flag. That there needs to be some fasting and some trimming out of your life. Because any more than an hour a day, it's just you're filling your mind with things. Like there's so many things that aren't true. And how can you plug in to Jesus 24-7? How can you be abided in Christ, walking with Christ 24-7? In what parts of your life are you setting up boundaries and saying, Jesus, you're not welcome at this part of my life? If you have those parts of your life where you're letting sin in, where you're letting sin take control or you're giving, you're protecting sin, it's time to repent of that and give it back to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and man, God, you want us raw and unfiltered. You don't, God, we don't have to choose our words carefully with you. We can speak freely because you know our hearts before we open our mouths. And so God, we speak freely to you even now. I pray that if there's anybody here that hasn't surrendered a part of their life to you, they do that now, they do that today, and they simply say, Jesus, I'm sorry for keeping you out of this part of my life. I want to make it right. I don't want to keep you out anymore. I want to invite you in. God, if we're plugging ourselves into things that aren't Jesus, that aren't your son, help us detox from some of those things and help us continually abide in Christ and not get sucked into deceptive or hollow philosophies. Lord, we love you. We want every part of you. We want this hope that, that you offer. We want the joy. We want the riches of this wisdom that you offer. We want your healing. We want your touch. 
We want, we want every part of you, God. And by doing that, we give every part of ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.